The Producer Podcast is back, and we're also welcoming back another Season 1 guest of the show, Sarah Burnett. Today we're excited to be talking to Sarah about RealCast Productions' hand in producing the proof-of-concept trailer and footage for the show Capital. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you very much for coming back on the show, Sarah. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Starting off, just since it's been a couple years since your last episode, uh, maybe just like catch people up with what you've been up to since then. Sure. So um, I have worked as a producer for RealCast Productions. So John Clay typically directs and I do the producing for our projects. Um, We've done a lot of promo work, like brand film type work. Um, and then more recently we've taken on a variety of other projects. So, um, I was a producer for a Bible study series last year, and I've also produced a little bit of narrative or more like spec pieces for some different projects. So just a variety of producing. And then besides that, I'm a mom of four boys and I guess that's about it. So looking at, uh, this project of capital uh i guess to start off maybe just how did this even come to real cast because i know like narrative stuff in like this especially last time we talked wasn't really something you were doing a whole lot of you were mainly just in that promo brand film world yeah so um it kind of came through a referral as most of our work does um of since John Clay does post-production for a lot of narrative work, editing, color, um, and full post management, we have a lot of relationships in the narrative world. And so when um, the director of this project was trying to find someone to kind of come alongside him, kind of like a production company to come alongside a narrative project, um, he was given our name by a mutual friend of ours. So John Clay gets an email from somebody, um, the the writer of this project, and um, he had had the script, I think, for about 10 years at this time. And he had actually done the research for like a documentary. Um, and so the story is um, surrounding the 2008 to 2010, like financial situation that happened in Washington, D.C. with bailing out different industries. And um this director had actually gone to DC and kind of witnessed it and talked to people about it. So he had really firsthand accounts. So he had taken all of that information and kind of put it into a narrative type script for um, hopefully a TV show. So we get the script, John Clay reads the script and he was like, wow, this is like actually uh, a valuable script that um, we were like, this would be super cool if this was produced. So, um, John Clay got a you know got on the phone with the director and I was sitting there and he was going through like his reference um shows of different things that he wanted to look like and feel like and like political um political thriller is like my favorite genre of movie like John Clay knows he's not allowed to watch one basically without <laughs> me like if it starts with this is based on a true story and like anything like legal legislative like he's like okay I gotta wait for Sarah so I'm sitting there listening to him and the director's like listing out these different um reference pieces like movies and shows and stuff and I'm sitting there I'm like okay I don't even care if like this isn't what we normally do I really want to take this project because I think it's like super cool and I've always wanted to work on something like that So in some ways, um, the script was just so captivating to us and some of our interests that that was part of why we decided to take the journey in the narrative realm. Um, And so the director only wanted to film a couple of scenes just as a teaser to fundraise for the pilot and hopefully this eventually the series. And that's what he was coming to us with. So he came to us and he brought the um, resources to make that happen but he just needed the professionals to help put together a crew and all of the producing work and then someone to lean on for some of them were um film side of it as far as dp work and stuff like that so that's what he looked to us for but that's kind of how we ended up getting the project 
Okay. So then I guess like just to clarify, so like when he came to you, he was just looking for somebody to film like the concept scenes. He wasn't like trying to like, hey, you're signing on for like making the actual pilot or the full series if this happens. Correct. So um, there, I mean, we've had those conversations of like, what would happen if if it ended up going further? And I think there's some hope that we might. But at this point, yeah, we were just signed on to do the teaser. And it was just like a very short project to then send back and try to get funding for the full show, which at this point, um, I don't know if the rounds of funding have even started yet. So as you know, that's a long process. But right. So Mm -hmm. he was just bringing us on for the teaser. So then I guess... Because this is, I remember last time you were on, you kind of talked about how like your producing style was very unique because you pretty much just produce for John Clay. So in a case like this, how were like those kind of above the line positions being separated, I guess, because you did have a whole other person kind of as the director? Yeah, so we viewed it very much like we were the production company and we were bringing all of those technical aspects. Um, So we took care of casting, crew, locations. I'm trying to think what else. Props, art design. So like everything except directing and writing, we took care of. Um, As far as how we kind of split it out, I would say basically John Clay was also a producer in the sense of that he was with the director, listening to the director's creative vision. And so I did a lot of the legwork. Like I found the location. I chose the props. I um, I was the art director. And then John Clay was over that creative side of like the DP. We hired a gaffer and John Clay was basically the DP. And um so and then we had an ac as well so john clay like worked over that camera department but he also was present at all of the meetings kind of representing our production company to come alongside that director um and so technically i was the producer but then technically real cast produced the project if that makes sense because john clay was working with him on the creative vision of the story and the camera side of the part that the camera played in telling that story then he was also really helpful to help me just know what was important to the director so he was kind of taking the director's creative vision and helping boil that down and then um i was doing a lot of the legwork of actually making the director's vision happen yeah so so then you were pretty much just working kind of through john clay then you weren't really directly interfacing with the director so we were basically interfacing together to the director so most of our like meetings and interactions i bring a lot of the logistical information and i'm keeping track of like different things that have been said on previous meetings as far as what the director's wishes would be um and then john clay is also working with that to hear what the director is needing in the future, clarifying like what's coming up and kind of passing those back. So we kind of work in tandem um, talking to a director, just like we do a client. Honestly, in a lot of ways, it was like how we work with clients because we have a very collaborative process with our clients where they br- we bring them along on the whole creative journey of a piece and so we're doing this a lot with clients even though john clay's directing he is pitching to them before we film like what you know mood boards and storyboards and music and actors all of those things were running by a client so i felt like it was very similar in a lot of ways of john clay was somewhat um coming alongside the directing process and making sure that that creative vision was getting passed all the way through and then i was managing the logistical so then i know you You'd mentioned that he already, when he came to you guys, he uh, already had, like, raised the money or whatever for this project. Like, was there anything different in kind of, I don't know if you'd call, say your your budgeting process or something like that for a project like this as opposed to when you've been working with, like, clients? Or was it pretty much you just applied the same concept to, like, this 
So I would say um, the one difference in the budgeting process is because this was a spec trailer, we were given a hard budget and we couldn't go over that. And so as a lot of spec work would be in the narrative world, there's a certain amount of heart that kind of goes into it to make those things happen. And so it wasn't a commercial project where you were going to be able to see ROI as quickly and because of that, like we tried to be very faithful to the budget we were given to stay underneath that number because that was just the max number that was given to create a spec. So I think in some ways, you know, you could have spent a lot of money and um, like parts of the show, you know, talk about things that happen at the U.S. Capitol. Some of the interviews and stuff are from um legislators and so there's a whole world of what you could have done um but we chose and this was kind of in concert with the director and what he thought would work for a teaser we chose two scenes that were taking place in a home or a vehicle it was technically one two three scenes uh four scenes sorry four scenes that took place in a home or a vehicle so that because we didn't have the budget to construct large sets for offices or you know the u.s house of representatives or something like that so mm -hmm. i would just say sometimes with a client you can have that conversation and maybe you can find out oh they're going to use this over the next 10 years and this is going to have a lot of value to them and because of that the budgets then can be adjusted this one was a very hard budget as i feel like a lot of spec work in the narrative space would be and so because of that we just had to be very intentional with who we brought on the crew how long we brought them on um and then props and locations like we just didn't have lots of money for each of those line items and so just being very faithful with the pieces that we were given i would say was the main like difference um which you know if you have a million dollars or five million dollars or ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars like you're always you're always scraping the budget so it's not that unique um but for us like we wanted to make it happen we liked the spec project that we were working on and so we decided we're going to work within a budget that probably could have easily been double what it was <laughs> yeah no that's just about every project that i work on could be double triple whatever it was <laughs> i guess diving more into the pre-production process um uh, maybe to start because you kind of mentioned how you you guys kind of work to pick out the scenes that you did shoot like what was that process like was the director saying like you know i want to shoot this many scenes and you guys were having to try and figure out well which scenes are you know doable for that and like what were you kind of gauging to know like what was doable but also what would actually be effective in helping the director raise funds so as with most narrative work um, there's a huge weight that lies on the script to have great scenes. And John Clay does some work in making trailers, and he always talks about this. Like, it is so important to have those scenes that have key lines that can describe what the character characters want, what they're working towards, what the stakes are, all of those types of things encapsulated in a line or a scene or whatever to pull from to make quality short content to describe the story. And so I would really give a lot of credit on that to the director in that he had a couple of scenes that using the representative's family we could hear what the representative was working towards and we just kind of wanted to make a taser teaser we wanted to make a teaser to raise the stakes of like this is what's at stake for him if he takes these stands in this fight over the budget and so he recommended these scenes and we actually talked about doing another one that would have taken place in an office that was a phone call between the representative and someone higher in leadership in the house of representatives and in the end we creatively decided to shoot that in a vehicle so that we didn't have to use an office set and didn't have to build another set or work in a company move and all the things that come with that so the director really came to us and he said, I think these scenes encapsulate what needs to be said. Um, but then we were 
super on board with that process, especially because those scenes did convey what we felt like was needed um, to show the heart of who this character was. So one of the things I know uh, you've done on this project, but also even some other projects that I worked with you on, uh, was filming at an Airbnb for a house location. And so I guess like, I'd love to hear like why you guys tend to go say that route as opposed to finding, you know, a house of like a friend or some connection that you have to film in. And then like, what are maybe some of the benefits you've found to, to shooting in those Airbnbs? Sure. Yeah. Um, so this was actually the, I'm trying to think, this was at least the third project that I had filmed at an Airbnb. Um, there's a variety of reasons I like to film at them. One, obviously, is location. Like, I have pursued different friends' houses at different times, and often, like, the location is not advantageous to getting the rest of the crew there for whatever the purpose. Even, um, like, we film a lot in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you've ever driven in Dallas, Rockwall and Fort Worth are, like, an hour apart, and so even that is like really cutting into your days if let's say you have a friend on the edge of Fort Worth or the edge of Rockwall or something like that. So because of that, I like that I can be super specific with my location. The other thing is I find Airbnbs, the ones I like, um, to be well de decorated with a color scheme. And that's really helpful for production design. Some of that is already laid out for me, whereas just someone's house may or may not have that. And so I would have to come in, I would have to take down family pictures and take down personal things and adjust to the color scheme. But on an Airbnb, I actually look on Airbnb for the color schemes that they're look using in their photos before I even reach out to them. So that helps with that process. Um, they also don't have as as much I kind of mentioned this but as much personal stuff to work around and so I can just come into a fairly decent starting point from production design and just add on top of that and one of the houses that we used even had the colors of like blue and um or teal and orange that I wanted in my design and so all I did was like they already had towels and um a a tea kettle and some other pieces that were that color. So I just added a fresh bouquet of flowers and some books and games and different things in my color scheme, but I don't have to clear all of their stuff out. So I just like that a little bit more generic canvas that most of them have to start with. Um, and then from a finance standpoint, I have to house the crew somewhere. And so it kind of depends on the crew and the scenarios. Um, but when I have crew who are friends and who are willing to do this, we'll often make sure that the Airbnb has a room for each crew member and let them stay, especially if it's a shorter project. Um, so obviously hotels are used for certain crew or cast or whatever, but like we bring our family a lot on the projects. And so Airbnbs are just beneficial to us. And then because they have a full kitchen, I can also save money on the catering. And so I kind of have a catering plan that I use for one to two day shoots that has certain simple meals. And I bring a PA who can help me like assemble all of those, but I'm cutting down on catering costs. I'm cutting down on time to go pick up food or go out to eat. Um, and so there's just a lot of little benefits that I found the Airbnbs work with. I guess kind of sticking on this for a little bit, just because, you know, it's it's something like... What's that conversation like when you like are getting in touch with an Airbnb owner? It's like, hey, we maybe maybe you're not even staying there, but it's like we want to rent this place for like a film. Like, what information are you giving them, or things are you providing to help them understand what you're wanting to do and get on board with it? Yeah. So, um, so on those platforms, you can't send any links. So I can't send a link to our website um, because. I normally start out with my husband and I 
Um, and our kids want to come and make a film so that they know, like, we're a very family-friendly environment. We're bringing a small crew. I'll list how many people that is. So they know we're not coming in with 50 people, going to repaint the house, and then leave everything a mess. You know, we're coming in. We're going to be respectful of their space. Um, and then I explain that we're going to film some scenes. And then the most important question or thing to clarify is that it is family friendly content um, because that's the biggest thing that owners want to know. They want to know that you're making something family friendly. And so I always include family friendly project. And then I just, you know, ask them, like, would you be willing to do this? And usually I have to reach out to at least five to get one person to accept. And so I just once a project gets greenlit and I'm ready to do that process, I just hit up like every potential in the area. And the cool thing has been, especially in the areas where we usually work, um, not like high filming areas like Georgia or California, I think that would be more difficult. But in these markets that don't have as much film, often the owners are really excited to have us and are even on board with what we're doing. And so that's what I kind of did on Capital. And I found a host who was super on board, easy to work with. Um, of course, we maintain a high level with our film team as far as we never break anything. We're very careful. We put everything back exactly as it was. And we aren't doing anything major as far as construction or anything. And um, so I've only, I've had very positive reviews from every owner we've used. And the longer I do this, obviously, the more confidence I have that it's a good way to go. But just being very upfront has really helped me that way, you know, I don't get anybody on the back end who's upset about it. And then some of them do ask to be paid for their project. I've never actually, that's only happened, I think, one time. And we had another location we liked better anyway, and so I didn't end up pursuing that one. But they might ask for payment, but most of them are just excited that you're filming something. And often they'll like give me their card at the end and be like, hey, can you send me a link when it's done? Because I want to see what you made. So then I guess looking like specifically at Capital, after you and John Clay had had kind of your discussions with the director and that, like what, you know, what things had you kind of figured out like when it came to looking for Airbnbs like? these are things we, you know, like the Airbnb needed to include, or like, these are kind of like your wish list <laughs> items. Hey, if we can find the house, the director that, you know, has this, he'll, he'll be happy. Um, but yeah, how did you go about like finding and narrowing down that house? Yeah. So the director basically, um, we wanted to film four scenes. So the first scene takes place in a vehicle. The second scene takes place in the kitchen. The third scene takes place in the bedroom. And the fourth scene takes place in the living room. And so the kitchen, he wanted this birthday party that had just ended. And so I wanted like a large bar area that the wife could be behind the bar kind of cleaning up, but we could see the remains um, or the leftovers of that birthday party. And so that was like, I needed some sort of kitchen that could let me film that sort of scene. The bedroom was bedrooms. You can create a bedroom anywhere. You could create a bedroom in a garage if you had to. And so I ended up not worrying about that one as much when I looked online there were some twin beds in the listing and I'm like perfect we'll just take one of those apart and like figure out how to do that in the end that bed didn't end up working and so I just bought air mattresses and and made my own bed basically out of those and a headboard and like we just kind of constructed our own bedroom in kind of this bay window area of the master bedroom so that we could you know have curtains and different things like that the living room was the most important part, um, and he wanted this large stone fireplace with a mantle, and that was from one of his concept images. And so that's what I was really looking for. Um, and we searched and we searched. We were going to use the Dallas area because some of our crew and cast was from that area. But then I found this house um, that was larger but not in a really expensive market. And so I was able to afford it for this project in Ardmore, Oklahoma, which is kind of the bottom of Oklahoma. So like an hour and a half north of Dallas. So it was within reach of the airport because the director had to fly in. 
um, but it had all of the pieces, the big fireplace, the kitchen, and then enough space to create that bedroom scene. So those were kind of some of the things that we were looking for specifically for this project. So with this project being, I get like, I guess I'd say more narrative than what you'd done because like these were, these were full scenes, you know, were with dialogue. What was that like? in terms of for you guys like with the scheduling and some of that pre-pro even into production dealing with elements that maybe you don't normally deal with on your day-to-day shoots right so with this being more narrative obviously there was the element of actors having lines um we've already we had already at this point hired actors asked them to do emotional scenes and so we kind of knew what scheduling that out would be um the lines was something new i would say it's newer to real cast productions um but john clay has worked as a dp and first ac on multiple feature films and so because of that he knew how to schedule all of that out and so he kind of laid out what that would look like and then the other aspect was getting actors and a cast who had the experience to nail their scenes so it didn't take a terribly long time and so that was also part of, um, you know, we we were in charge of the casting process and brought kind of options to the director. And so in casting, we looked for um, highly competent actors who could definitely handle those scenes. Um, then the third aspect would be sound. Obviously, when we do some of our narrative B-roll shoots, we don't always capture sound it's often added in post and so we knew that we were going to have to capture sound for this one and so we made sure we had a qualified sound person on our team to kind of be in charge of that part so i would say those were the main differences um from some of our just narrative b-roll type shoots uh speaking of uh the casting process like what was that like because i know like some companies when they do pilots or whatever they're like looking for cast that if this gets greenlit those are going to be the actors you know that go on to play those roles other you know times either none of them go on to play the roles or maybe you know a couple of them do and a couple of them the the studio's like nope (laughs) find somebody different for that role so like how were you doing it for that and like working with the director to get what he wanted Yeah, so when he came to us, you know, knowing the limitations of the project, he was like, hey, like, let's just find, I I just need cast, you know, do you have local cast? Who do you know for cast? Well, um, the year previous, I believe, yes, the year previous, we had worked with Stephanie Parker on a narrative, how do I say this, like montage narrative project for a client so it was a commercial project but it was kind of a narrative story with montage and music and so we had been really impressed with the breadth of her acting ability and we thought she could definitely play that role and so she was like the first person who came to mind and then she had a daughter and we needed a daughter for this film so we brought her on so there wasn't a ton of discussion because we felt like if we put out a casting call, you know, we're going to have to weed through all of these people. But if we already know cast who we've worked with and we like what they bring to the screen, why not just use people that we already have that confidence in? Um, and so we talked to the two of them and they were, they were, they were local to the area. So it all kind of was starting to fall together. And then I had remembered at a film festival, um, there was an actor, Brooks Ryan, who was actually from Oklahoma, who had played in the film Unplanned. And I had heard him do an interview at a film festival and seen some stories of him online and stuff. And so I brought him up to Stephanie when I called her about the role. And she was like, oh, actually, like, I know him. And we've been in touch about some other different projects. I'll see if he wants to come on. And so we just brought a very select group of cast who he had seen their acting. We knew that they had what we needed to carry the project and we brought them to the director in a zoom call so he could meet them um there was not a formal audition 
but we knew that we were bringing some great actors who had the ability to play these roles. And so we did a Zoom call because we didn't have, you know, again, the budget or time to bring people in for live auditions and all of that. And then we decided to go with them for our cast. Um, the conversation was had, if the project would go forward, would they be interested in those roles? And so I would say like for all of us, there is interest in continuing, but there's nothing signed as far as promised on either side for what the future looks like. Looking a little bit more specifically at just like the production phase of it, um, what did that that look like? Obviously, it was a smaller shoot. You were only doing, you know, four scenes. But, yeah, just kind of give us to start, like, big picture kind of what that looked like. Yeah. Um, so for production, we at RealCast really like to do, even for short shoots, like at least a half day of prep. And so we did a big prep day. Um, I think it was about half a day. And then we did basically a shoot day and so from a production standpoint that just allows us to prepare to set all the lightings to test our setups to kind of get in a groove because the projects are so short you know there's a certain rhythm you get into on a feature film or even a feature doc that you don't have the time to do on a shorter project and so that one day of prep really helps the team kind of come together be agreed on vision and then when we wake up that morning and start filming we're all on the same page to film so on the production side, so obviously that way we brought in the actors for just the one day, so they didn't come for our prep day. We brought in our crew the um, afternoon, evening before. Um, on this film, we worked really hard. Obviously, we had great cast. We worked really hard on wardrobe, on production design, on cinematography, and then obviously the script was taken care of by the director, um, which that was a great script so there wasn't like conversations going on on screen of changing any of that we we were all happy with the script once we got to that point um so finishing up like the pre-production side john clay worked with the gaffer and um first ac and then the director so he was kind of running as a dp on this talking to the director about his vision going over those midboard Im images and then talking to his gaffer and ac on a gear tech side and then on, um, I managed the production design. And so I took the spec images and like ordered all the props. And then when we got to the house, like set all of that up, the different rooms. So they were all set the night before. And then the next day we finished lighting and then jumped into like actual production and just doing the, the different scenes. Um, and we blacked out different windows because almost the whole thing takes place at night. And so we had to black different windows out so that we could film throughout the day and not just film all night. I think we filmed until 11 um, or maybe midnight, but so we did use that dark in the living room because those were harder windows to black out. But besides that, as a, from a scheduling perspective, we started in the afternoon and were able to work all day because we had blacked out the bedroom and the kitchen scenes. I'm just, I, this kind of branches off. I'm just curious, um, since you do, you guys do bring your kids along on a lot of shoots, like how does that work more when you're doing a shoot like that where you're like starting later in the day and going super late at night, um, you know, with, with them being around. Yeah. So with kids, actually the later it is, the better it is because they have to go to bed. So, um, on this shoot, we actually only brought one of our kids with us because John Clay and I had so many hats to wear. And so he was with us on set and the house was large enough that he kind of had a space. And so anytime we were recording lines, he was kind of not on set because, you know, if you're not recording sound um, our kids are used to the set environment and they can stay out of the way and watch. But with sound, 
you want to catch the takes right then. And so I don't want my kids to be any distraction to that. And so for most of the scenes that were filmed, he was not on set. There was like maybe one take right before dinner he was on set for. But besides that, he was kind of playing in his own area of the house. Thankfully, it was a nice large house where he could kind of be there and still kind of around. And then he was around for all of prep and all of the meals. And, you know, if you think about film, like the actual times when somebody has to be quiet are actually not all that many in perspective of the whole shoot and so I found it to be okay since our kids are used to set to come as long as they know when those times are and I just kind of play it by ear like project by project as far as which ones the kids come to and if they can handle and whenever like we recorded a bunch of bible study content that's so much sound recording they just were not even present on set but on like a b-roll or montage shoot um as long as you know i mean i've had ones out in the barn it was cold and windy i didn't bring them to that one so it just kind of is a play by ear as far as which ones they come on but yeah this one actually worked out great for his schedule because he was uh, he took a nap for like most of the afternoon scenes and then he was going towards bed for all the evening scenes. So obviously later in the day, if you have little ones who can sleep. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, this jumps to post-production. Um, but obviously like even a lot of the like promo commercial projects I've been a part of, you know, besides like making the main film piece, you're usually, you know, whether it's still images or shorter versions of that promo film or whatever, there's a lot more deliverables. So, like, what were some of those conversations like figuring out for something like this, what all deliverables do you need? Yeah, so on the deliverables, um, the goal for our shoot and what we were contracted to do was to film only the narrative scenes. So that's what we filmed. Um, there was also a recent interview filmed the same um, summer that we filmed the narrative stuff. The director also traveled and filmed an interview with someone who could kind of help tie the story together. And then there's the historic interviews that he filmed back in 2008 to 2010. And so when it came to post, there were a couple different edits they wanted done. Obviously, we did like just a narrative um, version to see how that would stand. So we have that version. Then there's versions with the interviews. There's versions, I think, with the interview on the front and in the middle. There's inter there's versions with interviews just on the front. And the different versions were specified by the director and also the company that will be fundraising for the project also was part of some of that conversation. So John Clay kind of worked with them. Um, John Clay managed the post-production process. And so he worked with them once we had created an edit we were all happy with of the narrative scenes of them working in those different versions for them. Um, and I think there's been a request or two that's come in after the project of for a different cut or something. And so we've, you know, separately contracted like different cuts and things as they've needed those um, because for a fundraising type scenario, it's a little different than a promo scenario where you kind of know all your distributions up front. There is an element of the fundraising and I'm, I mean, they may want different cuts at some point, just different parts in the process, who picks it up, where it goes, those types of things. But basically um, the cuts are just the straight narrative cut. And then some of these intercut with the interviews and they're just used different platforms different places starting to kind of wrap things up uh with some of the closing questions i guess my first one would be like what were some key takeaways you had to producing this proof of concept piece that maybe there are things you hadn't encountered before or stuff like that uh, from your normal promo brand film work Something that was, I wouldn't say entirely different from some of the more planned narrative montage work that we've done, but was definitely more intense in a narrative type um, situation was we were very, very intentional with different moments and making sure that we could like 
when you're shooting four lines, you're shooting, you know, your overs, you're shooting your wides, you're shooting your mediums and how, how an actor moves into a scene and all of those types of things. Um, those have to be planned with that dialogue. And so that was something, since I was also the production designer, that was something that we really had to think about. You know, it wasn't just enough to have it look good for her to sit on the couch. Like you might have in a commercial, right? Like in a commercial, you're not gonna show someone walking into the room, talking for a minute and sitting down necessarily. It's gonna be more like that pretty, um, you know, push in on two people sitting in front of a fireplace, for example. Well, in this type of shoot, we had to have coverage from both cameras, lighting and production design of a lot of other angles because there were movements that happen with dialogue that I wouldn't say we've used as much in a promo space. And so that was something that I just felt like there was a very high level of intentionality that went into this in capturing all the angles for all the dialogue and having production design and all the other aspects kind of making sure they were covering the room with that much breadth um, so that you could get all those angles that you wanted. So I think that was definitely one thing. Um, working with a director who was not John Clay was new for me, but John Clay has done that a lot throughout his career. And so it ended up that he managed a lot of that. And since he was working on the creative vision, that allowed me to focus, which honestly, as a producer who was covering catering, production design, crew management, um, just all of those or logistical aspects of the film, it was helpful to have John Clay kind of managing that director, um, director DP relationship, and then kind of coming over to me and producing and keeping all of that moving. Um, I should also mention, I had John Clay was actually the AD. So I had him AD it so that he, um, you know, I think it's really important that an AD understands the creative needs of a project and doesn't just push to hit a schedule just because they want to make their day, but understands the give and um, the give in a schedule to kind of do what the story needs. So if one scene maybe need, needs more time than it said on paper and another scene needs less, let's be willing to make those compromises. And I knew that John Clay was closer to the creative on this one than I was. And so I had him manage the ADing that way he and the crew were really meshed on that. And I was kind of a little bit outside of that managing everything that happened around the actual filming. My next wrap up question would be like, what advice would you give to other producers out there that might, whether it's their own project, whether like you, they were approached by a director that they might be getting ready to produce their first like proof of concept type piece. Um, yeah, so a couple pieces of advice on on that type of question. One would be, I think it's important for us as filmmakers to protect protect how much we can always give to a project. And so just because we love a project, not to go and build, you know, a US capital set um and spend months and months on it with you know friends for a volunteer and just you could burn out on the proof of concept without knowing if an audience wants it and so just like in promo work that i don't believe you should spend more on a promo than what you can get out of it in value as far as growing your audience or whatever bringing in donations whatever your goal is for that i think a proof of concept should be treated the same way um and so that would be kind of my first thought on it is like don't just because this may be the biggest grandest idea you have be willing to take it small and show what you are excellent at and realize that other people will know it's a proof of concept too and it doesn't have to look exactly like the feature film and as an example on that i mean dallas jenkins proof of concept for the chosen was shot on a farm in illinois and so i think it's just proof that a piece like this needs to show what it can do, but don't burn yourself out on the proof of concept so much that you can't actually make the final film. So that would be one piece of advice. And then with that, 
the writing on a proof of concept is so key. Like if you feel like you have a story that needs to get to the world, make sure your script is excellent. And don't go film a proof of concept until your script is amazing. Scripting is the cheapest part of the entire production schedule. Like, entire production process. So make sure you nail your script. Like that's what I would say is one of the standout things about this project because the script was excellent. It allowed us to do, to put our whole selves into it and do the work to make the piece as great as we possibly could. But there were scenes that were worthy of being produced even on their own that had emotion, that had story, that had all of the elements that make a great mini piece and proof of concept. So I would just focus, focus on the script, figure out what things you need to portray in that, and then go do those things really well, but realize also that you don't need to make a full movie as a proof of concept necessarily. One question I can see people wondering kind of off of what you said is like, well, then how much should I spend on a proof of concept? So like, how do you gauge, like, is this something where you should try to do the whole proof of concept for like, less than a grand or you know 500 bucks or is it something that's you know even worth like you know a five thousand dollar budget so as far as how much to spend on a proof of concept um like that's another lesson that i love from this project is actually the director found someone who believed in his script enough to give him enough money to make a decent proof of concept. And so I would say, like, start shopping your script, start talking to people, start seeing what the excitement is, see if you can even get someone to fund a proof of concept, um, get creative with that. And find, find, I guess I would say, take it to the market and see what the market says. If you're passionate about it, and you want to spend money on it, that's your choice. I mean, you can do that. And you can have something that you want to show. But for me and for the work that we do, we're always looking at ROI. And so we want to be faithful to how much money are you trying to raise? You know, if you're trying to raise a thousand dollars, well, then don't spend a thousand dollars on your proof of concept. If you're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars, don't spend a hundred thousand dollars on your proof of concept. Like, so you need to look at what your goal budget is and then find a reasonable amount of that which I don't have an exact number, but if you were sitting down with investors, like what would they feel comfortable giving you to then do that first raise? Maybe you do bootstrap it. Maybe you do it with friends. There's a lot of ways to do that. But how do you find the amount of money that's justifiable um, when you don't know if it will ever get funded at all? You know, like I think when you spend money on a proof of concept, you want to be comfortable if this never goes anywhere that you're like, but I'm so proud of what we made. And I'm also proud of the fact that I didn't put us in the hole so much that we can't get out of it. That's some good thoughts. Um, so then my final question, uh, and this one isn't really related to capital or proof of concepts and that, uh, but is just like, what advice do you have for producers about balancing working on multiple projects at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, as producers, we're supposed to be good at being efficient and knowing how to manage time. So I would say work on your time management skills. Um, work on knowing what is needed for that day. And so when I go to produce at this point, I make a master checklist of every step that's going to have to happen. And then I go back through and I put a date on each of those steps and then I don't look at the next step. I only look at the step that's assigned to me that day. And that does allow me to bounce projects a little bit better because I know I have to book, you know, I like to book my flights at least four to six weeks out. So whenever a project is coming up, when I hit that window, I book my flights for that project. And so just looking at it in sort of a planned way 
so that each step is broken down and you know when you need to do things as far as when to order props, when to get on people's crew schedules and cast schedules. You know, the cast and crew need to be done ahead of time because they're booking other things and you need to make sure to get them. So you're doing that further out. Props, you need to make sure your shipping deadlines meet when you need things at location. And then your catering plan, you know, can happen closer to the date because that's going to be fresh foods that you would buy um, or your caterer would buy closer to the event. And so I just, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is organizing my plan so that I'm not touching something until it needs to be touched and finished and then move on to the next thing and open that box, do everything in that box, close that box, put it away, move on to the next box. So as far as if that works with juggling projects, hopefully it does. You may have all your projects need everything the same week and then you just take a deep breath and try to get it all done but most projects um have an ebb and flow so that you don't have to do everything at the exact same time if you can just think about when things need to happen mm -hmm. so i'm gonna bug you one more time on that um because I, I mean i like you know what you're saying about how you kind of plan it out so when you're doing that like how do you budget in there like room for that emergency fire whether it's something you got done and now all of a sudden some new issue popped up like oh the location double booked and now you know yeah it's like you had this list made up but now there's something unexpected on the plate okay so emergencies happen and then you just have to deal with them and roll with them what i would say is especially in any sort of client work um, where you are working for someone else, we try as much as possible to get things closed and done by deadlines. Like we treat our deadlines as like absolute have to happen. And so actually I have an example from this capital project where we were getting closer and closer to shooting and we couldn't find a location. And so I had found this house that we ended up using. The director was unsure and had some valid concerns, but they needed to be addressed by the lighting department um, as far as how we could black things out for different scenes and stuff like that. And so because we had a deadline, like John Clay was able to get on the phone with him and talk through his concerns and still close up that box that day. And so I do think the more that you're able to say, hey, today is the day and the more of those that can be in a contract form or in some form that is well explained to everyone in the process, the more it's helping. So you don't have unnecessary emergencies. Like honestly, waiting to book a location for another week wouldn't have helped us find anything better. We had done thorough research. We'd found all the options and we had narrowed it down and we just need to have a conversation and decide. So there's no way to really deal with the emergency except to deal with the emergency. I mean, that's that's part of what being a producer is in some respects. But the more that you can create, I guess, create your own deadlines and your own, I want to use the word emergency carefully, but create your own emergency as far as help the, the other people involved in the decision know, like, if we don't do this today, then tomorrow when there is a real emergency or when we need to book crew or gear or whatever, we're still going to be talking about today's problem and we won't be able to talk about tomorrow's problem. And that starts to back up on the whole project. And so that is something we try really hard to tell anyone we're working with is like, we set these deadlines so we have less emergencies long-term. Um, and then we still have emergencies and we have to deal with them the way they come up. So <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful, but that's how we do it. Alrighty. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up this episode, but thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk about this project today. Absolutely. This was fun. Thanks for having me on. And on that note, we are going to wrap up this episode of The Producer Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to The Producer Podcast, and thanks for listening.